All right. I just want you to have a little um, cast your mind back to this morning, the previous few mornings. I don't know how it works in your house for your morning routines. What kind of goes on in the morning regularly? In our house, we have, um, I'm married to Melanie, we have two small boys at eight and six, and we have our morning routines, and we have things which work, uh, we seem to be doing daily to remind our children kind of what needs to happen. And so we sort of get up in the morning, the kids wake us up. We don't need alarm clocks, we haven't needed alarm clocks for years. They, they wake us up. And so there's one reminder, they have to stay in their room till a certain time before they can come into our room. But they come in and we start getting up and we're getting ready and I've got to kind of go to work, even though I work at home, and Mel's got to get the kids ready to take them to school. And as you're kind of getting ready, you sort of hear things kind of that are going on around the house and they seem to happen daily. Everything's fine until it gets to the point where we've got to get ready to get out of the house. And so I hear these things kind of floating down the stairs. Things like, right boys, it's time to brush your teeth. That's because that's what we do every day. We brush our teeth. So the boys have to go, oh, do we have to? And he's like, yes, you've got to brush your teeth because we do it every day. In fact, we do it twice a day, but every morning we brush our teeth. And then it goes quiet for a minute and the, the, the tone goes up an octave or two. Time to brush your teeth. And it goes quiet and it says, no, not brush each other, brush your teeth. And then it goes quiet for a bit and, it goes, and then you hear things occasionally, isn't that all the time? It's toothbrushes do not go up bottoms. <laughs> oh yes, I have boys. We have all these kind of things going on in our house. And then, and then after the, finally the teeth brushing is done, which takes less and less time it seems in my house, it's time to get dressed and so it's time to get dressed, and the clothes are usually laid out, and you suddenly hear this phrase, pants do not go on your head. No, they don't. And then it's and then a bit quiet and a bit more noise, and it's like, we don't wear shirts as capes. We put shirts on, and all sorts of other things. And it's like, right, where are your shoes? And I don't know where my shoes are. So we go and find the shoes, and the shoes are hidden. And then it's, we've got to get our stuff together. And one of the things Mel Daly reminds them, if you want to take your stuff in the car to go to school... You've got to get it before you get in the car. So what happens? The front door slams open, kids pile into the car, and suddenly, no, I need to get my fill-in-the-blank, Pokemon card, sticker album, fuddly toy, whatever. And so it's back in the house, up the stairs, into the bedroom, down the stairs, back in the house. But these, these daily reminders go on in our house. And every day they sort of happen, and we have to keep telling the kids what it feels like, the same thing over and over again, just to remind them what they should do. I'm living for the day when they just do this on a school morning. Children, people with older children, does this happen? Do they? Oh. But here's the great irony. Here's the, here's the irony with my children, which I don't understand. Sundays, Sundays, the day of rest, even though I, it's kind of, we come to church and I'm sort of working here, it's day of rest, the kids appear in our room fully clothed with their bags packed, ready for church, and they just appear at half past six going, we're ready for church. And you're like, we're not leaving till like 10, which is later than school, and you're ready. And they just sit there like, yeah, we're done. They've even got their shoes on. And you're just like, what is, what is it? Why can't this happen Monday to Friday? But that's my house, and that's the way things work. Now, what I want to look at today in the final part of this series is some daily reminders God has given us 
that we need to be looking at and using in terms of prayer. What we've been looking at over the last three weeks, this is the fourth and final week now, is a series on reading our Bible and prayer. Because at the beginning of the year, we talked about this being our focus of the church of 2018. This is what we're going to build into. This is what we're going to look at, that we're going to be a people who read our Bible and pray on a daily basis. We spent the first two weeks looking at uh, our Bible, the big story of the Bible, the importance of God's Word, its authoritative, its sufficiency, all these things. And then last week we looked at prayer and the priorities to take in our life. And this week we've actually looked at some practicals on how to pray. And what we used at the beginning of the year was a verse from Acts 2.42 to um, frame this. So if we can put that verse up, it says this, and this is describing the early church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. So you've got apostles' teaching, which is the word of God, and you've got prayer. And what we used was the image of a sandwich. And we said... Um, that it was like a sandwich. You've got two bits of bread and then the filling of community in between. And so the sandwich of our life must have God's word. It must have prayer that holds everything together. And then in the middle we have the church community, the fellowship of us doing life together. And this, this series has been looking at those two bits of the sandwich that we've done. And what we've got now is we've looked at the priority of prayer and we're going to look at the practicalities of prayer today. So can I put the passage up? This is Matthew 6. We're going to start at verse 5. Let me read it to you. And this is Jesus speaking to his followers. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, because they think they're going to be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we are also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay. Context of this. This is part of what um, we call the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is teaching his followers. And he's teaching them about a whole bunch of things. And this part of prayer comes up. And the first couple of things I, I just want to point out before we get into the prayer. And the first one is Jesus starts by saying, When you pray. There is an assumption by our Lord that his followers would be people who pray. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. And so for us as the church, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are to be people who pray. Then Jesus mentions a couple of do's and don'ts in there that that identifies heart attitudes and ways prayer has been done and ways it shouldn't be done. So there's a couple of don'ts. The first thing he says on the don't, he says, you don't pray to be seen by others. Prayer, talking to God, is not a way to make people look at you. It's not a way to make yourself better. It's not a way to build yourself up and say, look at my, how impressive I am. It's not a way to put out your spiritual credentials. It's not a way to kind of increase your own self-righteousness and make yourself look important. He says, don't do that. People stand on the street corners 
And they pray so everyone can hear when people are trying to go out their business. Look at me, look at me is the attitude of these people. He's saying, we don't do that. That's not why we pray. It's not about that. He also says you don't up, heap up empty phrases. And what he's getting at, the word there they use is, is, is like babble, like a babbling brook where water is just running and bubbling. And he says, when you pray... You don't just heap up phrases over and over again. Mindless repetition is needless. He's saying others do that. It was kind of a, it was a, um, a characteristic of kind of pagan prayers to false gods where they just keep repeating themselves over and over again, thinking that they would be heard by the sheer volume of the noise and the sheer repetition. I say this a thousand times, this deity, this God will hear my prayer. And just saying no. That's not the way it works. You don't do it to build yourself up and say, look at me. You don't do it just by endlessly going on and on and on and on and repeating the same thing over again like it's some magic spell, some mantra to get what you want. He does say, though, however, there are things, something that you should do. What did he say? He said, you go into your room and you shut the door. What he's highlighting is prayer is a relationship, it's a conversation between you and someone else that doesn't need an audience. There's something private and personal and intimate about it. I don't think he literally means you have to go into a room with a door. So if you're not in a room with a door that you can shut, it doesn't count. The point is that there is a personal relationship between you and someone else. It's something private between you and them. It's not for an audience it's not necessarily for anyone else, but it's, it's an intimate relationship. So, so don't be like that. Don't do it just in public to be seen. Everyone look at me. Don't just make noise and noise and noise. Go somewhere and talk personally and privately to God. It's about having no distractions. Because if you're in a room on your own, you shut the door. There isn't life kind of buzzing in. Our modern equivalent might be go into the room and shut your door. Leave your phone outside and the computer and the tablet and... <laughs> whatever else is there, so we don't have our distractions to get in the way. And then Jesus gives a model prayer for his followers. We call it the Lord's Prayer. That's the common name for it. Interestingly, though, our Lord gave it to us. This is how you should pray. So maybe a more appropriate name is the Disciples' Prayer or the followers' prayer, or the Christians' prayer, but this is what we are to do. And basically what Jesus is doing in giving this prayer to his followers is he's giving them something that they are to pray, and it serves as reminders of where their heart and their mind should be orientated. It's something that they should do regularly to keep their focus on what is important. Often our prayers, when you think about them, reflect them, are reactive. We say, thank you. When something happens to us, it's a reactive thing. It's not a bad thing, it just is. Often our most common prayer is help, which again is something's happened in life, something's gone on at work, at home, with the kids, with our health, and it's suddenly help, I need guidance, which again is a reactive prayer. Again, not a bad one, but it's often reacting to situations around us. Often another one that we pray commonly is sorry when we get things wrong, but again, that's reactive to things we've done. What Jesus is giving us here is something proactive. These are things I want you to do as my followers 
regularly to reorientate your heart and mind about what is important. If Jesus has given these to his followers and saying, this is how I want you to pray, there must be something in there that is important for followers of him that they, we need to recognize and be doing and building into our lives. And so as looking at this whole area of reading our Bible and praying, we've talked about reading our Bible and how we can do that. Let's talk about prayer and let's look at what Jesus gave his followers to do to help them be proactive in following him in prayer. And so these are some reminders for us on a daily basis. And the prayer breaks roughly into three sections, which we're going to look at. The first part, first section is who we're talking to. And the second half of the prayer, you can just snap in half. There are, the first section is about God. It talks about your, king, your name, your kingdom, your will. It's Godward in its focus. And the back half of the prayer is kind of about us. And it talks about giving us, forgiving us, and leading us. So there's your, God, us as, um, um, at the end, but it begins with who it's to. So the prayer begins, our Father. Jesus wants his followers to be reminded daily when they pray that the person they're talking to is their Father in heaven. Jesus, when he refers to God, if you read the gospel, an overwhelming majority of the time uses the term Father. He does use God, but generally he uses Father. That's how he refers to God. And that's how he's training his followers to refer to God. That's how you do it. Refer to him as Father. Even if you just read the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, 7 of Matthew, the amount of times Jesus uses the word Father to refer to God is huge. And he's basically saying to his followers, you need to be reminded every day when you pray that you are talking to your Father in heaven. And this is something that is so important that I need it done daily and it needs to be right off the bat. The first thing you do. And anyone would tell you, any business person, productivity guru, kind of what you do first and what you give your attention to first is the most important thing. It's kind of your priority. You don't put the important stuff at the bottom of the list. You put it at the top so it gets done. What you should have your focus and attention and energy. And Jesus says, what you need to know is the person you're talking to is your father. And this flies in the face of culture that we're up against because it say, the culture says things like this. But one, it says God ain't there. There's no one there. It's just a void. It's nothing. And Jesus is like, no, you need to remind there is someone there that you're speaking to when you pray. Or culture might say, yeah, but the person you're talking to is an, like an absentee landlord. You know, like kind of God wound up the universe and then just left it. And he's not interested. And it's, it's, it's like a clock ticking down to extinction in a million years time or whatever it is. He's saying, no, he's absent. And you say, no, he's not. He's present. He's your father. And all the world might say, there is a God. Yeah, but you know what? He's like the severe headmaster, you know, that you kind of, you don't want to talk to because all he's going to do is, you know, tell you off and be like, you've done this wrong. You've done that wrong. You've done that wrong. And just saying that is not the case whatsoever. He is your loving heavenly father. And if you ever wanted to know what your father was like, what did Jesus say? If you want to know what the father's like, who do you look at? Him. You look at me. Jesus said, I, me and the Father are one. If you want to know what he's like, you look at me. So what does that tell us about our Father in heaven? 
He is generous and he is kind and he is gracious and he is loving and he is faithful and he is your friend and he watches over you and he provides for you and he is for you, not against you. He will sacrifice for you and he will give you life and health and energy to serve him and eventually he will call you home and you will be with him forever. That's what your father in heaven's like. And Jesus is saying right out the front, when you pray, you need to start with that. You need to start with actually, this is the one I'm talking to. And so you're, once you've got that right, okay, if I know I'm talking to, I can know what I can talk about now. I know what kind of conversation I can have. What is the next section of the prayer? The next section is about God. So Jesus says, right, you're talking to your Father in heaven. Let's talk to him about him because he is the most important thing. And what does what was Jesus kind of most concerned about when you pray? It says about God, it says, I want to talk about your name, your kingdom, and your will. All God would focus things. So the first thing is our Father in heaven says, Hallowed be your name. If you're like me, it's always thy name. I can't get out of it, it's just the way I was raised. There's all thy's in there. But it's hallowed be your name. Now, what does that mean? Well, hallowed is related to holy, which means kind of related to purity and sanctity and uniqueness. And so basically he's saying the name of God needs to be treated as holy. It needs to be put in its rightful place as something that is honored, something that is revered, something that is looked to. God needs to be in the place that he should be in. He's the one ruling and reigning everything. He's the one who created everything, and he needs to be honored and recognized in that way, which unfortunately it seems the opposite of what culture wants to do with God. God's name is a swear word. It is something that is trampled on and mocked and run down. And Jesus is saying, actually, we need to pray as his people that it is restored to his rightful place, a place of honor and a place of dignity. And that should be on the mind of believers. And Kind of what could this look like? So how do we kind of get a handle on this? This happened in my life, um, over the period of my life, this kind of prayer. Um, when I was young, um, kind of pre-10, 8, 9, 10, I, I had some experiences where I watched um, the greatest movie trilogy of all time. Um, it defined the sci-fi genre. It was uh, incredible. It, was, it captivated my imagination. It, it defined a generation of children in kind of who we wanted to be and what it was like. It sold a boatload of toys as well, which I had, and it remains this kind of incredible thing kind of in history, the Star Wars trilogy. It was just amazing. But then I grew up, and... Um, uh, on my first date with my now wife Melanie, she took me to see the first of the prequels that they made. And we still got married, um, and that was fine. And it was a good start. But when you watch those over the, the funny years, you suddenly realized how bad things could go. The mystery of the original, they tried to explain with science. They had these ridiculous characters that they put in that just were just, why is he there? And someone hasn't shot him or stabbed him with a lightsaber. Well, they have these wooden cardboard characters. You're like, what is going on? And, and the name was, in my opinion, defamed. It was just, it was just 
poured scorn on. It was nothing at the end of it. And then, and then years after that, after that debacle, what happened? They were going to make another one. And what was my prayer before it came out? Lord, restore your name. JJ, do not make a mistake. Let's see if we can put this back where it should be. And then the Force Awakening came out, and I think the collective sigh of relief for fans all over the world as well, it's getting back in the right direction. They had The Last Jedi, so we won't talk about that. But that's what it is. So it's about restoring the name of God. It's been defamed. It's been pulled down. And Jesus says, the number one thing I want you to pray is that his name is honored and valued. Is the name of God, the name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord, is is above everything, and we're to pray that. And then what do we come after? He says, "You want to pray for your kingdom to come and your will be done." And when His kingdom comes and His will is done, His name will be honoured, His name will be lifted up above all people. And Jesus is praying. Jesus is asking His followers to pray the great story that we've looked at actually a few weeks back in the Bible. The great story that began in the garden where God's people were in God's place under God's rule. And it was good. And the kingdom was there and the people were there and they were ruling under the reign of a king and everything was right. And then it all went wrong and it all got broken. And the story of God's word is for him bringing a people back to himself as he is king and we are his people and that we would live under his rule and reign forever. And we look at the end of the story, we see it kind of fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus is saying, pray now that there would be more of that kingdom coming in. There would be more of that restoration, that God's will would go forth and it would fill the earth, that more of his kingdom come, that the church would grow and multiply, that more people would come to know him, that more people would get their stuff sorted out, that peace and righteousness and justice would go forth and rule the lands and rule the nations. He's saying that's what you should be praying for first and foremost. You should be praying for your church. You should be praying for God to save people, to bring people in, to set people free, to heal people, to save you. All those things should be right up front. And above it all is the name of Jesus Christ as Lord to be worshipped and adored throughout the nations. And that's what we're doing. And only after we've done that do we can get to put our focus on the next thing. So when we pray, who are we coming to? We're coming to our Father in heaven who loves us and wants all this thing. And then we start by praying for the things that he wants to see done in this world. He wants to see his church grow and multiply, fill the nations, fill the land, reach all the unreached people groups, his word to go forth and people to be saved and healed and delivered and the orphan to find parents and the widow to find a husband and people to come into his family and be restored. That's what his heart is and that's what we should be praying for. And only after we've done that, we move on to the next section, which is about us. And Jesus says, right, once you've prayed about that, you can pray about these things. And I want you to be reminded of these things. Bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. The first one, give us this day our daily bread. Why bread? Well, bread was a basic foodstuff at the, at the time, but Jesus didn't just say that for that reason. It's because it points back to something. It points back to what had happened before. The great story and the exodus where the people of God had come out of Egypt, they'd gone into the wilderness, and God provided with them daily, except on the Sunday where he provided twice as much the day before, but he provided them daily food all through their wilderness wanderings, 40 years. We looked at that in Joshua. When they entered the promised land, it suddenly stopped, it said, and they could eat the produce of the land. But he said, God provided for them. And basically what he's saying is, you need to ask for your daily provisions. 
what you've got today and you need to be thankful for that. Now, for this day and age, in this culture, in this context, in this church, I'd imagine most of us aren't worrying about what we're going to eat today. We've got plenty in the fridge, the freezer, the cupboards, and if we haven't, there are shops that have got loads of food in and we can get them. So generally, that's not our case here. So what's Jesus driving at for us? Well, we need to be a people who are just thankful every day for what we do have. That actually recognizing that it is a gift from God. What you do have, what you're going to eat for lunch later and dinner and breakfast is actually it's all a gift from God. And then what that does in us, if we are thankful and recognize where it comes from, that makes us a generous people. Because we're recognizing actually what we've got isn't ours in the sense of it's all mine, I, I earned it. It's all, no, it's actually a gift from God. So we can be generous and we can serve others and we can give to the food bank on a regular basis and we can serve those who don't have as much as we do. And that all comes part of it. So Jesus says, I want you to pray. I want you to pray. And the interesting imagery with the Exodus is that where they were, they were slaves. They'd been set free. They were in the wilderness and God is providing for them. And where are they heading? The promised land. And we find ourselves in the same place. We've been set free. We've come into liberty. We're following God, but we haven't made it yet. And so in the meantime, while we're walking, we need to be praying God daily saying give us what we need to get through and be there, make us generous with what we've got and this is, uh, is born out in the example of the early church that verse there we read earlier if you read that short section in um, the book of Acts it talks about how generous they were and how gracious they were and we should be people who are praying regularly for the basics for food, for shelter, for clothing, for relationships and recognizing all of it is a gift of God all of it is a gift from God the next thing we should be praying for is forgiveness. So Jesus said, I want you reminding daily that you are forgiven, you need ongoing forgiveness, and that you should forgive others. That needs to come up daily. We are to be people who are willing to accept forgiveness ourselves, recognize what we've done wrong, but also then in turn give others. The world that we live in tends to say we need to assert our rights, we need to exact revenge uh, on people or, or something, get back because people have hurt us, damaged us, which just creates a horrible downward spiral into just more and more pain and suffering. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he, he, dealt, he, he did away with that because he was the only one who was innocent, yet he was offering forgiveness to those who were killing him. Father, forgive them. They, don't, they just don't know what they're doing. Jesus drew a lie under and said, actually, he offered forgiveness when he had every right to say, actually, I'm God and I will just destroy you. He didn't. He offered forgiveness. And so the prayer reminds us that we must first be forgiven. What that means ultimately is you need to become a Christian, that you need to go to God and seek forgiveness for all the things you've done in rebellion against him when you've belittled him and that uh, and those things, and knowing that he will forgive you because he is a gracious and good and loving father. When we repent, we turn around, we become followers of Jesus, we are washed, our sin is removed from us. But as a believer, we must daily confess our sins. And we all know what they are, you're all thinking about them now. Thinking, oh yeah, we confess our sins to God. We confess our sins to God, we get them dealt with, we must keep short accounts. But then Jesus then adds on the end of it, um, we must also forgive others. And you're like, oh, Yvonne, you are doing so well, Jesus. You were, just, you were nailing this prayer thing. And you're just, I've asked like one of the types, I was like, yes, yes. Oh. You know when you're like, oh, you just, 
like the England football team doing so oh, at the end. But Jesus then adds on, rightly so, we must also forgive others. As we are recipients of forgiveness, we must then give it out to those who've hurt us. Just to clarify, what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not condoning. It doesn't mean you say when you forgive someone, you say it was all right, kind of what you did. That was okay. No, it wasn't. It was painful, it was evil, it was wrong. That's not what it is. It's not minimizing either, forgiveness. It's not saying, oh, you did this really bad. Oh, it wasn't that big deal. No, it was a big deal. It hurt you. It has to be a big deal. It's not saying there's no consequences either because there are consequences to our actions. So forgiving someone doesn't mean there's no consequences. Things have to be lived out. It's also not reconciliation forgiveness because reconciliation requires two parties to come together. Forgiveness actually just requires you. And so when we forgive, what forgiveness is, is we are relinquishing our rights to get even with them or seek restitution there. We are relinquishing that and we're saying, God, that's over to you. We're giving it over to you. And so as we have been forgiven, we in turn must forgive others. And it's really um, a choice that we need to make. It's a choice that we make where we choose to forgive people we choose to give them for God. We choose to release that kind of our, our, our right kind of uh, desire for actually some sort of restitution, payback. You need to pay for that. We actually release that in forgiveness. And it's actually a true sign that the, the, the gospel message has actually infected our hearts, that we are able to forgive others. It's not easy. No way. And sometimes it can be a process. It takes time. But actually that our heart to forgive is key to us being Christians. And when we run the Freedom in Christ course, this is a big thing that comes up, that actually we need to forgive people. And they offer you a format where it says you have to say the name of the person. I choose to forgive. I won't say one of you, just because it, it, it would get awkward, wouldn't it, if I pick one of you out and deal with it. But I say, I choose to forgive Joe Bloggs for the mean things he said about me. And I'm, I'm choosing to give up my right to seek revenge with him. And I kind of release that. And they lead us through prayers that we can do that. We recognize how we feel. They hurt me. It felt, made me feel small and insignificant, which isn't right. And in doing so, we release that, um, that right we have and give it over to God and say, actually, God, it's all yours. And we walk free as a result. And Jesus is saying on a daily basis, you need to be able to seek forgiveness for your sin, but also to release others for what they've done to you. And that needs to come up daily. That's not something that can build up over time. And the final thing that Jesus says need to ask for is deliverance. Deliverance. Now here's, here's the tough reality. If you're following God and you're seeking his kingdom to come and you're being humble and relying on God to provide for you and you're seeking forgiveness and forgiving others, guess what? The enemy's going to hate it. And the enemy's going to come against you. The world will hate it. The world will seek to crush you and destroy you. You will come under opposition. We don't have anything to fear in the sense that Jesus has the victory, but actually we live in a fallen, broken world. And there is an enemy who seeks to kill and destroy us. And Jesus is saying, actually, you need to pray in those environments for protection for yourself. Be reminded of that, that we're in a battle. If you were told when you become a Christian everything would be easy and everything were fine, you were lied to. I'm sorry. But that's not the way it is. Life is tough. And life requires us to move forward. We should expect opposition. Even look at Jesus himself. He did nothing wrong to anyone. He faced huge opposition. 
There are two kind of things in the, in, in, in the gospel stories, one at the beginning, one at the end, where he faced a temptation in the wilderness. The devil came to him, tried to knock him off his, his kind of path to following God and doing God's mission, and then one right at the end when he's in the garden and he's facing his, his own death on the cross. And he's saying, actually, God, I'd really rather not go through with this because it's going to be horrific. Yet not my will but yours, he says. And the reality is for us, God will not tempt us. God will not put things in our way to try and trip us over, but God does allow us to be tested. Things come into our lives to test us, to strengthen our faith, to say, are we going to keep going? Are we going to keep moving forward to grow us, to make us more dependent on him? And Jesus is saying, this is reality, this is life, so you need to pray about it daily. You need to pray for yourself, pray for your family. God, protect us. Protect us from evil and keep us on the straight and narrow. Keep our faith strong. Keep ourselves following you all the days of our lives. And so that's what he's called us to do. That's how he's called us to pray. That's the proactive prayer that Jesus gave to his followers. And so it's something that we should think about praying daily. I have in my journal, I've got a little sort of prayer thing I do in a week and that's written at the top. I've just I've put the, I've printed it out so it's got the, the Lord's Prayer to remind me, okay, what should I be praying about? There are lots of other things that come up. There's, I want to pray for my family. I want to pray for you guys at the church. I want to pray for this. I want to pray for that, which I can fit in, but I still need to remembering those things. And it's amazing how quickly they can fall off our radar. Actually, I haven't prayed about that. I haven't recognized that. I haven't thought that. And so as we pray, we should be reminded of that. And I would say as you pray, be open to God speaking to you. When you're praying about certain things, when you're praying about his kingdom to come and his will to be God, God's just going to might just drop things in your mind and say, I need to pray about this particular situation. I know my friend's in this situation, a hard thing at work that's going on where they're trying to stand up for Jesus, but it's, you know, they're facing opposition. You pray for them. You're praying for stuff as a church. You know what we're doing next. You want to pray for that. Friends, you might have abroad serving God. You can pray for those. When it comes to um, forgiveness, actually you're praying. God loves to just drop things into your mind and say, actually, have you forgiven that person for that? Have you asked forgiveness for this thing you did yesterday, the way you spoke to your spouse, the way you lost your rag with your kids, all these kind of things. Are you keeping those accounts? So as we pray, keep one ear open to what God is saying to you back and say, actually, let's make this a two-way communication. All right, can I have Dan and Aaron? You guys come up. We have, um, over every week of this um, sermon series, we've had people come and just share a little bit of their story of how they're doing. And so I've asked Dan and Aaron to come this week to share who they are, a little bit of who they are, their favorite sandwich, because that's been our theme, and then a little bit about how they read the Bible and pray that hopefully will be a provocation and an encouragement to you guys. So. Over to you. Hi, all. Uh, so, those don't know me, my name's Dan, and I've been part of Real Life for about uh, six years now. Outside of church, I spend my week uh, working for a company called EY, and I'm a manager in the sort of IT risk team. And uh, within church, I help to lead a life group and also play in the worship team. So, as a, the drummer in the worship team, it's not often I get given the mic, so I have to say this with difficulty. So I'm no talking about sandwiches. So for me, the best type of sandwich has to be a steak sandwich. If you think that a nice, big, juicy slab of meat with cheese, fried onions, jalapenos, got a happy Dan. Um, so I tend to read my Bible in the morning, and I think uh, one of the points Stuart made earlier, I find it helpful just to, to get the day off to a good start. So often I'll be on the train in Spermgan, and I use a Read Script track. And I just find it really good to 
to kind of actually just start reading words, get the little chunks of, of kind of the words into my life, so at least then, sort of as the day comes, I've got that kind of in mind. And on the app as well, it's really good just to, to have the videos, which then just helps you to kind of see the overall context of the book before getting into the detail. I think with prayer, I'm a little less regimented when it comes to, to actually praying, and I tend to sort of pray in sort of short bursts throughout the day, and then maybe slightly longer um, at sort of prayer meetings or life group. And I think for me, the, the, one of the things which I found most helpful is actually that I remember at my last church, a pastor said, uh, Jesus said to pray asking for the daily bread, not your sort of next uh, month's worth of provisions. And I just found it a really helpful reminder that um, actually you don't, it, it doesn't matter if you're kind of praying for really big things or what you might think is mundane or, or whether it's like a really eloquent prayer or just the kind of God help, just the fact that you're having that conversation and trying to commit to God, then that's the important thing. Thank you. Well done, Dan. I am Aaron. I'm a cloud security architect for a pharmaceutical company. At church, I lead the technical team, so we look after the projection and audio equipment. Um, Gigi and I have two children. Normally what happens is when I wake in the morning, I have some, something hanging over from the previous day, concerns about what's going to happen today, what the family's doing today, and so on. So what I try to do, what I tend to do is, somewhere between our bedroom and the kids' bedroom, normally on the stairs, I'll spend a few minutes just handing over everything to God, um, because, and I, I keep the phone out of the way and so on. Um, the other thing I do is when things have settled down a little bit more, and just before the emails come in, I, uh, I go through a mind map. I write out a mind map of my whole prayer. And this is my regular daily prayer, things that I pray for on, on a normal basis. Um, it just helps me to focus and not get distracted with things. So that's my prayer routine. Um, at night, uh, just before we go to bed, um, literally in bed, I go through the Read Scripture app. Just keep your neck straight. It's bad for your back, though. Um, there's, <laughs> it, it's, it's good. I sometimes go through a whole section, sometimes just chapters, sometimes just section, but it's, it, it's really helpful um, to keep that discipline. If I get the time, I go through, I, I, I like to do deep dives into a book. I uh, cross-reference things. I document it in OneNote so I can come back to it and, and, and still you know, get that same sense of freshness. I especially like it when I get across the difficult questions where I ask God, why did you write this down? What was this about? And I really get an insight into God's heart, which is great. And the third thing is, um, we have family prayer. So uh, the children read out a portion and they'll ask us questions. If you don't know the answer to the question, you get penalized. It's tough being a parent, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, sometimes Gigi and I find something in that portion where, where you know, we've, we've been blessed, so we take an opportunity and try and discuss it and and you know, work it work it through with the family. My favorite favorite sandwich has got to be a club sandwich. I like the chunkiness, the uh, flavors, and I like to spice it up from time to time. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, William. Thank you, guys. Okay. All right. Last thing, just want to draw attention to there. Hopefully, those um, testimonies help you, encourage you. Please catch them up on the other sermons that we've done. So we've had eight now. Uh, for people in the church. If you want to ask them more questions about what they do, please just grab them after the meeting. I'm sure they'd love to chat with you. But my last thing I just want to highlight about that prayer is um, four words in it um, that should 
also be emphasized to us, and that is the very first word of the prayer, which is our. And then there's three us's in there. There's a community dynamic. Jesus did say when we pray, we go into our room and we pray and we have a personal relationship with Jesus. But actually, we're part of a family. Jesus said, actually, it's our Father. It's my Father, but actually he chose to say it's our Father in heaven. There's something about us being together as a family on this. It's not just me and Jesus and our individual Western kind of culture can, can squeeze us into that. It's all about my relationship with God, which of course is vital. That's what we heard and that's what we shared about. But actually it's more than that. We're part of a family and so prayer should be something that we do. We seek after for our own relationship with God, but actually it's something that we do together as a family. It's something that we pray together as a family and you can have it with your family, but also our family together as a church. And so we have, when our life groups that meet regularly, we have part of our evening, our meeting together is given over to praying together, where we go together as a group to pray to our Father, and that we can pray for one another, and we can lay hands on one another. And so I encourage you, if you're not in a life group, get in one. Be part of that wider dynamic of community that involves serving and caring and loving for other, but it also involves praying for one another. And not just praying for one another when you're over there, but actually praying with one another. I will stand with you and I will pray with you and you can share how you're doing and whatever situation is going on with your family or your kids or your work or your, your health or whatever. But I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to pray with you and do that. We have, we have a gathering as a church where we come together and we pray together as a church expression every three weeks. Our next one's on Tuesday. Oh, it's like I planned it. What a great thing. Come and pray with us so we can come to our Father together and bring our request to Him. This prayer meeting on Tuesday night, we're going to pray for New Day because we're sending all the, the teenagers there and some adults are going there. So come and pray for that. If you're part of the youth team, if you've got young people, you know them, you love them, come and pray with us. We're going to pray for our trip to Live Village out at the end of August where some of us are going out there to check out the work, the orphanage out there and what's happened. We'd love to pray for safety for that and God to open that up to us and how we can serve in the nations. There's some of the things, but Come together and pray together. If you're out with and you're around with people in the church and you're just talking about stuff and stuff comes up and some sort of need comes up or some situation comes up, come together, take 30 seconds and let's pray to our Father in heaven and be community together and acknowledge it and ask for us to be served and us to be blessed. All right, can the band come up? I'm going to finish. Can everyone stand up for me, please? I want to finish a final challenge as we finish this series. Maybe you just want to close your eyes for a second. We've done four weeks now on reading the Bible and prayer. We did it because it was kind of halfway through the year. We wanted to review what we started in January. It was sort of June, July. Okay, let's, let's have a look at this. We're now, next week we're going to go back into Joshua and finish that. But there's a moment here. You might have only come to this one. You might have heard the other ones. But I, I just want to put a challenge out. You, how are you going to respond to what God's spoken to you? Maybe last week, maybe this week, a couple of weeks back. What is the challenge? When it comes to reading your Bible and prayer, if you're a believer here, you're a follower of Jesus, this isn't a negotiable thing. This is something that we do. And it's not a case of we should do like the headmaster wants to beat you with a cane. It's something you get to do. It's a privilege of being a Christian. It's a privilege of following Jesus. You get to come and you get to talk to our Father in heaven. You get to read his word. You get to hear him speak to you through that. All those things. So if there are things that you know through this that God's been poking, challenging you about, 
I just want you to take a moment now and think, do you know what, I need to do something about that. That, that, that one thing. Maybe it's you know, a forgiveness thing that's come up today. Maybe it's a, okay, I need to just adjust my life. I need to get my Bible out. I need to think about prayer. I need to go and talk to that person. Whatever it is, just take a moment now and bring it to God.